Well, if you've got your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 1, I want you to stay there. And uh, I'm sure you're probably a little worried. Jeff uh, took a swing at this on Christmas Eve. And my task is to actually preach these 17 verses. So we'll be here till this time next week. Um, No, you can laugh. All right, it's okay to laugh because that's not going to happen. But here we are. Both of you that have come here to this place as we've gathered at the church. We have gathered as the church here at this building. And for those of you that are watching online, we've arrived. It's the last Sunday of 2020. Just a few days left to this year, and then we will turn the page. And no doubt, when you've had a year like this, you will expectantly look to next year, but we're probably all a little cautious. We're not definitely looking at it with all the things we took for granted last New Year's Eve. And so here we are at the last Sunday of 2020. And if you want to know what I'm going to preach about in regards to wrapping up our Christmas series, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, Debbie put it out. My title of this sermon is When God Identifies You. When God Identifies You. I was talking to Grace earlier and asking her about her grades and finishing up and And Leanne is also working on some stuff. And I tease, not just them, but any student, that we we live in a world where we get grades. And Grace was telling me how she did. And by the way, she did well. So good for you, Grace, and all of you that did well. But remember, your identity is not found in your grades. For all of you that are in school. And in fact, I want you to understand that your identity is not found in a lot of things where you and I tend to find our identity. Your identity is found when God identifies you. So, let's just take a couple of minutes, though, and think about this wonderful year called 2020. Do you remember back in January when it started? Snowmageddon. Then in March came COVID-19. Mid-March, lockdowns, face masks, physical and social distancing, online learning as all of our schools and universities were canceled. We all became um, televangelists. We all became familiar with the internet, live streaming and all these things. Then there came the economic setbacks and hardships, CERB and all these things. Massive bailout spending in our country alone to the tune of a half half a trillion dollars. I was going to say billion, but it's a half a trillion. It's almost 500 billion dollars. And then finally, this month, the vaccine. And it was like a bad Shakespeare play, the vaccine. To take the vaccine or not to take the vaccine, that is the question, right? And those are just the big items. Then there were the other things that happened in any calendar year, but got magnified, like wars, elections, There was Brexit in England, fighting and peace agreements in the Middle East. Then there was China, and for us in Canada, the two mics. There was OPEC and the price of oil that affects our province so much. And then there are people. We have a new premier in our province in 2020, our prime minister. There was the Donald Trump versus Joe Biden election. Time named uh, Joe Biden and his vice president as the people or persons of the year, and then something as mundane as people's sexiest man and woman of the year. How arbitrary is that and how you figure that out? There were movies or lack thereof, 
TV shows, and then came streaming. Netflix, Prime, Apple, all of these things. And then, of course, there's the usual stuff that we deal with in a year. New phones, new computers, new technology, new cars. One of the funny things that happened this year was uh, when uh, the guy that does all the electric cars, what's his name again? Yes, yes, right. They remembered him when he unveiled his pickup and it was supposed to be all armor-proof and, and the guy walked up with a sledgehammer and was going to demonstrate how tough it was, took one swing and just busted the window wide open, completely flopped his big unveiling. But then, there's the other stuff we deal with. We had so many hurricanes, typhoons, and earthquakes, they had to start using the Greek alphabet to identify hurricanes. There were wildfires and forest fires, floods, famines, food shortages, and then a new word in my lifetime, food insecurity. That's the new catchphrase of 2020. And all of this happened on a local level here, right to the national level and a global level. One of the shocking things that I found out about my own city was the gathering place, probably the most well-known soup kitchen in our city, entertains 3,000 people per week. That should shock us in our city. And then there's me and you. There's our lives, our marriages, our families. There's our jobs, our bodies, our minds. There's our struggles and our ups and downs, our hopes and dreams, our fears and doubts, our demands, our hurts. And the things that scare us. In fact, 2020 could easily be the year of COVID-19. But it also might be called the year of coming face to face with our frailty or the human need. We've had to come to grips with the fact that we are often willing but not able. We are willing to do things but we can't. And at other times, we're able but not willing. That's been the shocking reality of a social media world that has tracked this global pandemic. And we have truly come face to face with a world of humanity in need. Yesterday, Debbie and I spoke with one of our missionaries, Herb and Janet Hunter in South Africa, for over an hour. And Herb just started letting me know how things were going. And so we were talking about St. John's and Newfoundland and how we've had 384 COVID cases. And Janet said, Steve, last week in their town alone... There was a thousand cases just in their town. And that's the stuff you don't see in the news. But over the last few days, maybe the last seven days, we've celebrated, haven't we? Christmas, Boxing Day, turkeys, prime rib, and all the different traditions you guys have. We've celebrated that Jesus came... But I hope you're seeing right now, just as I've tried to take a couple of minutes to reflect on this, Jesus came to meet needs. In fact, I would submit to you, don't forget as we end this year and look to next year, Jesus came to meet the ultimate need. And Jesus is both willing and able. He is willing to meet our need. He's able to meet our need. In fact, we've seen for the whole month of December, as we've done this study leading up to this very day, that God has been orchestrating the events of human history towards this glorious moment when Christ would come. To put this genealogy in perspective, 
Paul told the Galatian church years later, decades after this, in Galatians chapter 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Now watch this. Born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law. That's every one of you in this room. So that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And this is one of my favorite lines. Crying this, Abba, Father. I had one of the glorious opportunities to understand this Abba, Father, because this is not our culture. But I I got the privilege of being friends with a Holocaust survivor named Zvi Kalisher from Israel. If you've ever read his biography, if you haven't, look it up. It's well worth the buy. He was very popular with a mission agency called Friends of Israel. But I also got to meet his son. And his son, uh, I had the joy of having V and his son come to Prince Edward Island at my last ministry. And we did a prophecy conference there. And on the night that Zvi gave his testimony of surviving Auschwitz, we had 1,200 people from Charlottetown and the surrounding area show up that night. We packed the Confederation Center of the Arts. And Zvi, for an hour and a half, gave his testimony. But when I picked up Zvi and his son, his son, who was my age and a very accomplished man, he had served in the uh, Israeli Defense Force. In fact, he went all the way up, I think, almost as high as colonel and uh, had retired and had become a pastor. And he pastors a church in Tel Aviv. But he has a double master's degree in theology and he had worked on all these things. And yet, whenever he referred to his father, he would say, Abba. Abba, and he'd have all these different inflections to refer to his dad. And it was a very good lesson for me when when Paul says, God has sent the spirit of a son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. If you end anything, if you take anything from the sermon, even from genealogies like Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 to 17, I want you to realize my biggest burden for myself, for my wife, my children, my grandchildren, and every one of you as a member of this church, friends and acquaintances of this church, is that as you end 2020 and you look to 2021, you have the right view of Abba, Father. God as Father. So many of us see God as sitting on his throne in this awesome, majestic power, and we're afraid, and I don't think we're afraid in the right biblical sense. We see God as having power, and it's almost like we've got to get on his good side. We've got to impress him. We've got to keep him happy. And if we learn the magic formula to that, then we are get blessed. And if you step outside of that, then you get smacked. And I just want you to realize... He's our Abba, Father. And why is that important? Because Paul says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And if a son or a daughter, then an heir through God. And I say all of that to set up Matthew chapter 1, 1 to 17. Because with that as the backdrop, as elders, over a month ago, we got together. We love you. And not only do we love you, we are called by God to point you and each other to this Abba Father. And we decided that we would use Dan Darling's little book called The Characters of Christmas as our theme for Christmas 2020. And with a year like 2020 and all the things that I've just mentioned, (laughs) the truth is we felt led, and I think by God's Spirit, to focus more than ever on God's sovereign plan. But more than anything, I want you all to realize 
for all that we have faced in 2020, not only can you rest in God's sovereign plan, but you need to be at peace with God's sovereign power. And in the month of December, we looked at angels that sang. Brother Paul talked about that. Then we looked at how Herod raged. John taught us about that. We considered an elderly man and an elderly woman and their hope. Brother Steve told us about them. And then Brother Matt talked about a couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and their longing. Can I ask you a question, though? Does that not sound familiar? Have you not experienced this personally or been guilty of it yourself? You have experienced wonderful worship at times where you almost felt like angels were singing to you. Have you not experienced the evil and the rage and the anger of 2020? Have you not found yourself hoping and longing like other couples? My father-in-law is 87 years old. We went to visit him several times over the season, and he's at that age now. Every single time I go and visit him, he says this word, this sentence to me in some form or shape. I can't wait for God to come back. For Jesus to come back. It's all he longs for. He's longing for something. And he believes and he trusts in it. And so today, I want us to consider this. The world in 2020, I believe, has become more spiritual than ever before. Notice I'm saying spiritual. I'm not talking about religious and I'm not talking about evangelical. But I actually believe that the world is more spiritual than ever before. Yet... The the contradiction is we're more spiritual, yet this globe is also more obsessed with ourselves as God. If you want proof, just watch the news over the next month as these vaccines roll out. And you'll hear, mankind has banded together and we have found a way to conquer COVID-19. And it's all about the power of the human existence. It's funny because at Christmas time, I don't know how... Independence Day became a Christmas movie, but it seems like right up there with Die Hard, which, by the way, if Matthew's here somewhere, I don't believe is a Christmas movie. Um, that these movies are popping up all the time. And Die Hard, remember the great epic part of it when the President of the United States, slant to the U.S., says today is not about Independence Day. Today is the globe's Independence Day when we fight evil and, and stuff. And the whole messaging is if humans just band together... We can conquer anything. We can overcome anything. And this is what we are looking at. And yet, we've had a front row seat in 2020. A virus. Have you seen how often they show you the picture of that little little ball with a couple of little things jutting out of it? And it has made our planet stand still. And so many people are deathly afraid. And so many seniors in long-term care facilities are desperately lonely and isolated. Have we not seen examples of people clinging to hope, the past, a dream? How many couples and friends and nations have we seen, heard of, and been a part of that are looking and longing? And of course, with a bombing in Nashville on Christmas Day, do we really need more examples of evil? of men raging for power and control and fame and accomplishment. And so today, here we are on December the 27th of 2020, and I want to bring Christmas to its calendar conclusion as we look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, for one final lesson.
One final lesson, if you're taking notes, we are going to learn today this, how God's promises apply to me and you. How God's promises apply to me and you. Jeff started us off so well in Matthew chapter 1 on Christmas Eve. And most of us don't look at passages like Matthew 1. I was trying to not make it too obvious that I was trying to study your faces as Jeff was reading that passage. Because none of you had Jeff read it and he did very well with those names. All right, Um, But none of you were looking like you were riveted. None of you were like, wow, I can't wait to talk about this passage when I get home today. You're like, okay, Jeff, come on, come on. Just roll through the names. We get it, we get it. There's a ton of them there, okay? None of us go, oh, goody, we get to study this passage. But trust me, in Matthew chapter 1, 1 to 17, there's so much here for us to learn. And as we come to the end of one year and we look ahead to another, I want you to see this list of names And I want you to take notice, this was a list of names of men and women. But if you want to get the power of this passage, look at verse 1 and look at verse 17. In verse 1, Matthew says, right from the start, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That was meant to get everybody's attention. And he is Jesus Christ. Okay, why is that important? He's the son of David, the son of Abraham. To a Jewish mind outside of Moses, these are the two most significant Jews of Jewish history. And they are the ones connected to this Messiah. And then if you look down at verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David and go on, but look at this little thing at the end. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, definite article, To the Christ, not to a Christ. So Matthew is saying, right from the get-go, I want you to know this. I want to tell you how Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, is Messiah. He is your Savior. And he wants you to see how David or Jesus backs up his claim. But at the same time, I don't want you to miss this. He's also showing that in the lineage of David or Jesus, it goes beyond Jewish heritage because in this list of names, you had women, you had Gentiles, and therefore he's preparing the audience, you and me, to say even how Jesus came and the lineage from which he came should shock us. It should make us pay attention. I can tell you it shocked his first century audience that was predominantly Jewish. This is not how they would have expected a lineage, a family tree to go. This is highly scandalous. This is highly embarrassing. This is not how you would make your claim that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham, and that he is the Christ. But if you want to take notes, here's what, let me just give you this, all right? Here's the whole sermon in three points. Matthew wants you to realize that Jesus comes from the right line, that Jesus comes at the right time, and Jesus comes with the right design. And that's what I want you to take home with you. He comes through the right line, he comes at the right time, and he comes with the right design. And I actually believe this is a great way for us to end a year like 2020 in a genealogy. Something that reminds us of the sovereign power of God. And why is that important? Because if you ever needed to know that your God is in control on the outcome of your life and humanity's life, it's now. But what's more is that God does this by coming to us. God doesn't leave you on your own. God does this by loving us.
I love this statement. To be known is to be loved and to be loved is to be known. I just want you to know right here as we end 2020, none of you right now, none of you can hide from God. None of you can hide your thoughts, your motives, your feelings, your questions, your doubts. Oh, I can look down at you and you can look at me and we can make eye contact and we can kind of wink or nod or we can agree. You can smile at me or do the little head nod thing that we do so often. You can stare me down or whatever. You can say, Steve, come on. All right, listen, buddy, let's wrap it up. Whatever you want to do. But God sees into the very crevices of your heart and soul and knows you. And here's the thing. He's Abba Father and he loves you. He sent his son to come to us. He loves us and he offers to save us. And the lesson for today, include us in this whole design. This genealogy in Matthew 1 would have been shocking to Matthew's audience. And not because Matthew wasn't true to the royal lineage. He is. He lists the right kings in the right order. The shocking truth is actually even hard for us to appreciate unless you truly consider a couple of things. All right, if you look at these passages, there are four women included in this list. Well, five if you include Mary, because that's where it ends, right? But this is something itself that would have shocked the first century, let alone the 21st century. Because have you ever noticed, and for all of you ladies, especially you young ladies, that are living in a feminism world, and a world, I, I feel bad for the younger generation of both men and women, because I feel like the world tells young men that they've got to be a certain type of man, and then the world tells women that they must be a certain kind of women. And I think it's a confusing time, and we need to be aware of that as the church. But the Gospels, the Word of God, the Bible, shocks us because the Bible actually goes out of its way to include women. And it wants you and I to see this. God inspires Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to take women created in God's image. Now, but they are lost, not only in sin and by sin, but they're feeling and experiencing the dire consequences of sin. And in our world and time, the idea of equality is something that we actually believe in and we strive for. But in Jesus' day, women were looked at as property. And worse, and maybe shocking, they couldn't even testify in court. They weren't even allowed to be a witness. If you read some of the stuff that the early historians and and the Romans and the Greeks uh, wrote about women. And by the way, if you study your church history, women flocked to Jesus and they flocked to the church. And I want to challenge Calvary Baptist as we end 2020 and we look to 2021. May we be a church that celebrates biblical manhood and embraces biblical womanhood. And may this be one of the safest places for women to be. But notice something that's really neat. Matthew said in this league, he brings it all together. And I find it fascinating that he begins with women included in the lineage of Jesus, all who, by the way, need Jesus. And at the end of his gospel, we're told that it's once again women who actually see the empty tomb and get this, Get this now, in a first century where women were not allowed to testify in court, at the end of Matthew, it is women who testify to men that Jesus is risen. Now, I don't know about you, but that tells me that God wants us to notice a new way of thinking and applying each other and relating to each other. In fact, it's a woman who sees the risen Jesus first of all. And so as Matthew said last week, Here we are playing checkers while God plays chess. 
And he just doesn't play regular chess. He plays a whole other level of chess. The eternal. I know the hairs of your head. I name the stars of the universe's plural level of chess. And do you see it? Look at it again in Matthew 1. Look at that list of names. you got men, women, young, old, rich, poor, nobility, and commoner. And here's the combination. They're all sinners. Every one of them. You want to know the only common thread. They're all sinners. They all need a Savior. And that's the design. Jesus came through the right line at the right time. scandalous Jew. And just think with me about these ladies. Tamar and Rahab. They were both Canaanites. I don't know if you realize this, but Canaanites, Israel was forbidden to marry anyone from this people group. And yet, men of Israel went and married these women. And then there's Ruth. Now, I know many of you, because uh, Matt preached about this not too long ago, about Ruth during Easter, And I know that we like to think of Ruth because she's godly and noble and kind and gentle, of which she is. But I want you to not forget, she's a daughter of Moab. Moab was probably the most hated nation for any Jew. She's an outsider. She's the product of gross sin. The reason why Moab was hated so much is because Moab is a result of the incestuous relationship of Lot with his own daughters. When Lot escaped from Sodom and Gomorrah. And you can read about that in Genesis chapter 19. And by the way, moms and dads, if you've got teenage boys and girls and you want to rock their world, leave C.S. Lewis and Rankin uh, and Rankin and whoever, uh, no, Tollick and who wrote Lord of the Rings? Yeah, that dude. Leave them all behind. Just read the Old Testament. That'll really wake up your kids. There's some nasty, gnarly stuff back there. And this is why I love the Bible. And this is why I believe the Bible. You would never write it this way if you were making this stuff up. Because there are no human heroes. There are no heroines. This is a Bible filled with sinners, misfits, cowards, those who betrayed God, and others. Those who doubted, failed, messed up, ran, hid. There were those who were confused, stubborn, proud, angry. Those who tried but never got it done. And here in Matthew, and here in 2020, in the midst of our global pandemic, and so much anxiety and confusion, God's word yells out right from Matthew chapter 1, Come to me. Look. I've come, Jesus says, to heal and forgive and offer hope and give peace and point the way. And then you come to Bathsheba, the one Jewish woman in this list. And while she's Jewish, what you may not realize, and notice that Matthew says she's the wife of Uriah, who was not Jewish. He's a Hittite. So in essence, Bathsheba turned her back on her own people. She married outside of Israel. She's a traitor. She's betrayed her own. It's almost like Matthew deliberately wants to say, Bathsheba is back then what I am today. Because Matthew was a tax collector. He was a traitor. He had chosen to side with Rome against his own people. And yet, hear through this, this is the people of the line of Jesus, in the timing of Jesus, and it's actually the right design. And yes, that's right. I am saying that King David's great-grandmother was a Moabite, and his wife, the mother of great King Solomon, a Hittite, 
And I'm afraid you need to realize that this means the bloodline to Jesus is impure, and yet that is exactly what God's great plan was and why Matthew does what he does. This is why I'm saying, don't avoid the genealogies. They're filled with intrigue. They're filled with drama. They're filled with lessons. And as one commentator says, there's no pattern of righteousness in the lineage of Jesus. Jesus comes from a bunch of sinners. And I don't just mean Tamar and Rahab. Even consider some of the men that are listed there. Rehoboam and Abijah and Ahaz. Ahaz and Ahab. These were considered the worst kings of Israel. And even the so-called righteous men. Abraham, he lied about his wife not once but twice. Can you imagine what kind of a marriage if you had when you're traveling? Let's say you went to Las Vegas to go see the sights, and you're coming up on it, and one of you guys says to your wife, now listen, there's a big f- crew of dudes there. They're going to find you're attractive. If they ask, just tell them you're my sister. I mean, that, that's going to make for an interesting evening back at the hotel, isn't it? And Abraham doesn't do this once. He does it twice. Judah... Judah, from out of whom we come, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is the father-in-law of Tamar who goes to see a prostitute who happens to be his daughter-in-law in disguise. And she's the one mentioned in this lineage. Judah is also the brother that came up with the scheme to sell his brother Joseph into slavery. And David, well, do I need to really tell you about David? Oh, we love to say he's a man after God's old heart. You realize though, right? Bathsheba is nowhere in the scripture seen as guilty for the adultery that happened between the two of them. In fact, she's exploited. She's taken advantage of by David. It's David's sin. David commits adultery and then murders her husband. And even guys like Solomon, do I need to tell you about him? The wisest man that ever lived and yet the dumbest dude that ever lived. With 1,100 wives and concubines. (laughs) I like it, one commentator wrote, and you thought your family tree's a mess. This is Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. It's as if Matthew says, here, let me give you a criminal lineup. There's nobody in this list that you would initially go, yay, let's give them a bow. Like, these are great guys and gals. No, the point is almost too obvious to labor, isn't it? Matthew wants to show us what Paul is going to teach us in 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Now make it personal, of which he says, of which I am chief. This is what you and I to see. Jesus didn't come for righteous people. He came for unrighteous people. He's going to say this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. He comes for sinners like Matthew, the tax collector, or Rahab, the prostitute. He came for sinners like you and like me. This is what we need to embrace as we end one year and look to the other. This is why we need Jesus and his gospel. And that is why this passage on this Sunday is so perfect for you and I to consider as a church. You see, listen to me, if there's anything that 2020 has taught us, or at least should have taught us, is that Christianity in the 21st century, if you call it Christianity, but you don't have an ongoing lifestyle of honest, transparent confession of sin, then it dissolves into nothing more than church-going for some emotional pick-me-up that hopefully gets you through the next five days, polishing up our appearance, rehearsing our orthodoxy. Oh, it looks good, but it stinks to God. 
as one Christian rap artist said, it's like putting cologne on a corpse. That's what religion is. That's why this genealogy is there. All the readers would have picked up on this. This was a who's who of who didn't measure up. Those who had failed, those who had betrayed God. And that was just the king's. You see, these four women, three of which had major sexual sin in their lives, one was from the nation, and the other ones no one would ever look to. They're all examples for you and I to identify with of who Jesus came to redeem. And church, Calvary, we must be a people who are honest and real about our needs. I grew up in legalism. I grew up trying to look good and play a part only to discover marriages were struggling, parents were hurting, men were insecure, women felt vulnerable, and nobody talked about it. Nobody was real. We've got to be honest and real about the fact that we can't be clean enough. You're never going to be good enough. And we've got to be humble, simple people who are overwhelmed by God's amazing grace. We've got to be worshipers of God's line, God's time, and his design. And may we finish up 2020 and begin 2021 with the same resolve of Martin Luther. One of my favorite quotes, he said this, May a merciful God preserve me from a Christian church in which everyone is a saint. I want to be and remain in the church, and that little flock of the faint-hearted, the feeble, and the ailing, who feel and recognize the wretchedness of their sins, who sigh and cry to God incessantly for comfort and help, who believe in the forgiveness of sins. And friends, this is why My favorite part of a service is the call to confession. It's not to be liturgical, it's to be real. It's to remind ourselves, I need Jesus all over again. Do you see it? As friends and as family, Matthew writes this not to prove that Jesus is the Messiah only, but more importantly, that Jesus is your Messiah. He's your Savior. He has come for you. You see, that's the one thing, the most important thing all of this list have in common. They were all sinners, male and female, Gentiles and Jews, royalty and commoner, who had tried hard and never been good enough. They were well-known and unknown, and the answer for them all is Jesus. That's what Jeff said to us on Christmas Eve. And who is he and what did he do? I don't want to take it for granted. I know I'm looking out into faces and every one of you I know. But I don't want to take this for granted. Any sinner who comes to Jesus and meets him as Savior, who will confess and repent. And what I mean by that is this. you got to get honest with God and yourself. And you got to, then you will not only receive mercy and grace, you'll be given hope and life and peace and promise. That's why Romans 8 is not a fairy tale. It's true. When sinners come to the Savior, you get God as Father. You're adopted by God. And not only that, now you're an heir. But not just an heir, one who's in the line. You're a joint heir with Christ. Do you know what that means? That means that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So God loves you as he loves Jesus. 
God keeps his word to you like he does to Jesus. God looks at you the way he looks at Jesus. Oh, I wish I could get you all to believe that. So in some sense, sinners come to a Savior and become saints. Saints that care. Saints that God cares for. Never leaves, protects, provides for, walks with, gives you your value, your purpose, your plan, and your promise, and your identity. And so, what have we learned this Christmas? Here it was. Week one, we learned that God remembers his promises. Week two, we learned that angels proclaimed God's promises. Week three, we learned that Herod can't stop God's promises. Week four, we learned that God keeps his promise. And then on Christmas Eve, we realize that Jesus is the promise. And today, on December the 27th of 2020, with its ups and downs and its good and evil, we, that's you and me, and anyone who hears this and will turn to Jesus and trust to Jesus, here's what you need to end the year with and begin 2021. We are the receivers of the promise. You don't just get something, you get someone That's the meaning of Luke 2 when Paul preached it. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Now watch this. Among those with whom he is pleased. Friends, I want to take nothing for granted. Romans 10 says the word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. And young people, those of you that were born into Christian families, remember, God has children. He does not have grandchildren. And just because you're in a church and you carry a Bible doesn't mean you know him. And the word can be near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because here's the key. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Not you might be. Hopefully you will be saved. Here's the sequence. For with your heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Because the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That's why Matthew 1, 1 to 17 is there. So I plead with you this morning, all of you, and I invite you, come to the one who is from the right line, God in the flesh, God with us, who came at the right time. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son who planned this gospel perfectly to all people, dirty and clean. And do you see it in the list? Here you go, ready? Tamar, who is a victim, becomes a victor. She goes from victor, from victim to victor. Rahab, the outcast, becomes the accepted. I remember when Paul preached on this, I loved the line. He said, the prostitute becomes a princess. That's Rahab. Ruth, the outsider, is made an insider. Bathsheba, the exploited and taken advantage of, is given value. So let me ask, who who are you? What's your story? This whole series was meant to teach one primary thing about God. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 1 John 1.5 1 One man has said, there is not one particle in God we need to worry about or brace ourselves against or filter out. We can open up to him entirely. All of our sufferings are not God's fault. On the contrary, he is all our hope. Christmas is Jesus. 
Coming to do for us what we needed the most. To be our Redeemer, our Savior, our King, our Messiah. Truly He is Emmanuel, God with us. But here's the question for all of you sitting here today. Are you trusting Him? Are you leaning on Him? Are you coming to Him? Are you learning from Him? This week... Rather than give in to the temptation of New Year's resolutions, why don't you sit down and be honest about how has 2020 changed you? How has it shaped you? How has it scared you? How has it forced you to think about what's important? Or, why don't you answer this question about 2020? Are you running from something? Hiding from something, defending something, clinging to something, struggling to get what's yours? Are you more bitter because of 2020? More afraid? Have you gotten into the pattern now of making excuses for your temper, your impatience, your pride, your defensiveness? Have you found yourself questioning God or worse, accusing God? Matthew chapter 1, 1 to 17, this passage, this series calls out to everyone, every one of you, ladies and gentlemen, young and old, single and married, give your life, your past, your present, your future to Jesus. Give God your marriage. Give him your kids. Give him your job or your lack of a job. Give him your career. Give him your time. Why? Why would you do this? Because as Jesus is going to preach later in the Sermon on the Mount, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now watch this. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't toil or spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So, how does Jesus, the great preacher, sum this up? Don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Here's what you need to do as we end this year and look to the next one. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do you realize in eight verses how many times I read, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. And yet I will tell you in 2020, I was anxious, I was anxious, I was anxious, and I was anxious. Because so often I forgot that my identity is in Christ. Gentle and lowly Jesus has come, was born from a lineage of misfits and sinners, so that as the second Adam, he would make it possible for us, for me and you, to no longer be afraid. Are you tired of being afraid? 
I am. God has used someone in Western Canada to bless Calvary Baptist in Mile One Mission. Two years in a row, this man has been incredibly generous to us. And then this year, because of 2020, I couldn't travel, I couldn't see the person. And as the days of 2020 clicked by, my anxiety would go up. I would talk to Bob, the holder of the bag of the church, and we would talk about the finances. And I would try to act like I was super spiritual and that I could walk on water like Peter. And yet the truth of the matter is I would go home and lay in bed and go, Lord, where are you? I'm afraid. And last week we got an envelope from that gentleman again who gave so lavishly and generously to our ministry. And while I rejoiced, I sat in my car and I cried and I cried. And I said, Lord, why do I doubt you so quickly? Why do I always assume the worst and never trust you the way I should? And it's because so often I need to remind that you can come and you can trust Jesus and you and I must That you and I can come to Jesus and we must. That we can give Jesus all of our stuff and our junk and we must. Matthew chapter 1, 1 to 17 reminds us that Jesus came from the right line at the right time. And it was indeed the right design and was designed for sinners like you and me. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Your anxiety and your anger and your doubts and your hurts and your selfishness and your self-centeredness. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. And by the way, grace that is greater that will save your children. Grace that is greater that will fuel your marriages. Grace that is greater that will help this church grow. Grace that is greater that will keep us unified around the gospel as we stand against the culture, pushing back against everything that is good and noble and pure. Grace that is greater that gives you your value and your identity, whether you're male or female, young or old, rich or poor, doesn't matter. Grace will win. COVID doesn't win. COVID. Jesus touched people and they walked. He told Lazarus to come out of a grave and he did. Do you think a little ball with some little things sticking out of it scares the almighty God? The best thing Satan can do to you and I is paralyze us in fear. Will you, as we end this year, find your identity in God? He keeps his promises. Angels proclaimed them. Herod and evil couldn't stop them. He remembers his promises and keeps them. Jesus is the promise. And if you and I will cling to him, we get all the benefits of it. End the year that way, and let's begin 2020 that way. And I promise you, having no idea what 2021 is going to look like, we'll have a great year. We will. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, thank you for the gift of preaching. I have just thoroughly enjoyed talking to my family, my friends, my church family. 
Thank you for the genealogy of Matthew 1, 1 to 17. Thank you that Jesus Christ is the son of David, the son of Abraham, that Jesus is the Christ. Thank you for Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and Mary. Thank you for Abraham and David and Josiah and Hezekiah. Thank you that your Bible is filled with examples of people just like us. Lord, I do pray that my friends and family here will respond. Don't let this be just another sermon that they hear. But Lord, I do know that, God, you've spoken to people. You've challenged them. Help them to resolve to trust you, to come to you, to be honest and vulnerable and transparent. May we not be religious as we end this year and begin a new one, but truly. Lord, and we're going to see it next Sunday. If you give it to us and we get back to John chapter 12, we're going to look at what religion does. It blinds us, it paralyzes us, and we miss the greatest blessing of all. So, Lord, as the next few days spread out in front of us, help us to finish well. Help us to realize that the greatest need of this planet is not for COVID to disappear. It's for men and women to know Jesus. Give us a passion for the souls of our own families. Give us a passion for the souls of this city. Help us to be more burdened to see men and women know Jesus than to be impressed by our services. Ultimately, Lord, may people see you. And if they look at us, may they only see how you have changed us. In Jesus' name, amen.